This is the Relevant Podcast. It's episode 963, and it's the Relevant Podcast here in Orlando. I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and joining me from Loverland, Virginia, it's Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. From Nashville, Tennessee, artist, producer, mogul, Derek Miner. Was that And once again, sitting in for Jamie uh, from Austin, Texas, our very own downtown Emily Brown. Hey, Emily. Hey, y'all. Real quick, I, I I was thinking last week, I hope everyone listened to the last episode where we are talking about TV theme songs, and I feel like we, there was an egregious... Um, uh, there was, we neglected something egregiously Oh no! and, and I feel like I have to address it because I've thought about this for a long time. I, I watch Saturday night live. If not, I maybe not in its entirety every week, but I do at least watch like the Same. cold open, the mm-hmm. monologue, and I try to catch weekend update, you know, and I've thought about the, the Saturday night live theme song for a long time. Did Lord Michaels just tell the band, like, hey, I want you guys to just riff. And saxophone player, your job is to play the highest notes you can as loudly as you can from the instant this theme song kicks off until we're done. You are to blow the highest, loudest notes possible. And that is the theme song. They're like, well, what's the melody there? I want you Find guys it. just to play and him to just blow the heck out of that saxophone. That is the theme. And I appreciate that they've been doing that for 40 years. Like that saxophone player has probably the chillest job ever. He shows up to work once a week and just goes to town blowing <laughs> high notes. I don't even know if he knows how to play anything other than just the highest notes that horn is, is can possibly make. I appreciate it every week. I think about it every single week. I'm Do like, here, really? he is again. here he is again. He just blowing the heck out of that thing. That's what he does. He shows up to work. On Saturday nights, it just blows the the highest notes he can. I appreciate that about that guy. Yeah, whoever he is, what a job! What a job! If you're if you're a saxophone player, that really is like the pinnacle career move. Like you, there's no there's no other position that you're aspiring to if you're a sax player. How many right. recognizable sax like songs Kenny are there? G. Yeah, Kenny, Kenny G. G and the Kenny G. Saturday Saturday SNL saxophone player. Those yeah. are the two saxophonists. <laughs> Did y'all ever? Did y'all ever? Growing up in the church, did y'all ever know a trumpet player named Phil Driscoll in the eighties, nineties? Did y'all? Is that just my lane of Assembly of God? Is he related up? to another Driscoll? I listened. I did listen no. to a podcast called "The Rise and Fall of Phil Driscoll." Um, <laughs> you're just talking about, you're just talking wah, about sax wah. players. You're just talking about sax players. He was a uh, he had a trumpet. He was a trumpet player, and he was he had a music ministry. He'd travel around the churches and he played trumpet st- songs. Trumpet songs are pretty harsh to listen to. You know what I mean? They don't really like him. <laughs> I yeah, it, it's what they wake people up with in the military. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Phil Driscoll. I'm going to play Phil Driscoll track on the break. Please. All right. Well, we have a great show in store for you today. Coming up later, we talk to one of our favorite pastors and authors, Dr. Derwin Gray. Uh, he joins us. You don't want to miss that conversation. We also have a game at the end of the show called The Youth Are Revolting. And... Stay tuned right now. Up next, it's Slices. Visualize at the station. I took the train to the great escape of New York. Subway system. 
listening to Beach Bunny. The song is Fire Escape. Season four of The Chosen is in theaters now, and the reviews that count are in. Amazing. Did not disappoint. Flurry of emotions. It was powerful, heartbreaking, uplifting. You have got to come and see it. It is a message for everybody. I highly recommend that you come out and see The Chosen Season 4. Episodes 1 through 3 of The Chosen Season 4 are in theaters till February 14th. So visit thechosenriseup.com and get your tickets now. That's thechosenriseup.com for tickets today. Okay, it's time for Slices. What do you have, Jesse? All right, I, I'm convinced, you know, I may have been born yeah, just, uh, you know, a little too early because, you know, you look at what some of these, um, you know, people in, I guess not a full generation younger than myself, but, uh, you know, considerably younger are doing in uh, on YouTube. And I just have nothing but respect. I, I don't know if you guys saw the cover of the most recent issue of Rolling Stone. It's uh, it features an image of the popular YouTube star, Mr. Beast, laying in a pile of money. And mm-hmm. to me, there is no figure in pop culture that seems to have just hacked the system better than Mr. Beast. Yeah. All he does is come up with uh, viral ideas based on thought experiments. Not ones dissimilar that we've been discussing on this podcast for about 15 years now. Like years ago, we would do kind of fun pranks where, you know, we we watched Nicolas Cage movies for 24 hours straight or we, you know, we we did the, the Nickelback stunt where we listened to Nickelback for a week. You know, Mr. Beast has figured out a way to monetize funny ideas in in ways that have made him extremely wealthy. And he's quickly becoming one of the most powerful figures in digital media. His latest prank, which was released sort of at the same time this Rolling Stone cover story came out, is a perfect example of this. Uh, and this is what I wanted to, to speak about today. Did you guys see his latest his latest video? Which I've, it, I've never it, once seen any of his videos. I know I know who he is. But. I haven't seen one of them. I ain't gonna lie. I ain't never even heard of him till today. He's the he's the highest earning YouTuber in the world, like hundreds of millions of dollars. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. But but just to give an example of the type of uh, content, it, it's all based on just goofy thought experiments. So he had a friend who who was part of his staff, and he offered, and because of the YouTube revenue that uh, he he has access to, his his videos are becoming increasingly more elaborate and expensive. He offered a friend ten thousand dollars a day for every day that he would stay locked inside of this specially designed room, and the specially. Oh. Design oh, room. I did see that. I know so, what you're talking so, about. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. So it, uh, it it was this room outfitted with cameras, and it was actually at the at the start of the experiment. I guess it's an experiment. I don't know if the pranks, whatever. The prank, at the, prank at the, yeah. for sure. Yeah. At the at the, <laughs> at the at the start of this exercise, uh, it, the the room has like a hot tub. It's got a pool table. It's got a guitar. It's got a TV. But every day. That uh, uh, the person stays, one item has to be taken from the room, and the the person is given ten thousand dollars. And the goal is for the person to stay in the room for one hundred days without leaving. Uh, and, and at the end, they would theoretically be a millionaire. Now, uh, how can any of you guys? If you've seen the video, I guess don't venture a guess. But how many days it. do you think this individual made it in the room? How, well. I have no clue, but the like, how many items were there? I mean, like, yeah. It, that, that- so, so, so by the by, about two weeks into it, 
Uh, he most of his entertainment items were okay. taken from okay. the room. That, that's so, what I was wondering. Like, when does he? Ha- when is he basically in solitary confinement? You know, yeah, at that, okay. it, it, I would About, say with it with about uh the ten to fourteen days. All the fun stuff has been has been taken from the room. Then I'm going. He lasted twenty days. I think he lasted maybe one week past the the stuff being gone. I, I, Emily, what do you think? I'll give him a little more credit. I'll say like thirty five days. Derek, what what are your thoughts? Remember, it's ten thousand dollars every day you make it. I've seen it, so I can't I can't say. Yeah. It depends on if he's an introvert or an extrovert. Because if he's an extrovert, there's no way he's lasting long. He seemed pretty extroverted. But, okay. but also, like Emily, if you're just in an empty room with literally nothing, like after two three days of that, you would. I mean, you're you'd start going crazy. Introvert. Some people. It doesn't matter if you're an introvert or extrovert. If you're an introvert sitting in a blank room, it's still torture. It, it you know? was it, uh, this this guy made it 21 days, Cameron. Wow. You almost nailed it. Uh, uh, now, he did get a couple bonuses for doing kind of dumb pranks and stuff along the way or forfeiting items early. So the, he took home uh, three hundred and forty million dollars uh, or million dollars, that <laughs> hundred thousand uh, dollars, three hundred forty three hundred. And $40,000 was his total take. Sorry. <laughs> so you can tell uh, math and accounting. I don't work for Mr. Beast in his accounting department. <laughs> but uh, but I, I just love that YouTube has created a medium for all the dumb jokes that we just talk about, you know, at, at, at a, at a part, like how many, how many times have we all, like you've been hanging out with people and we'd be like, Hey, for a million dollars, would you, would you wear yep. the magic, the Orlando magic uniform and walk out in a timeout and try mm-hmm. to check into a game for a million dollars? Would you do yeah. it? Absolutely. Absolutely. But he's actually doing that stuff. Like that is the whole premise is he has the infinite amount of money and or a seemingly uh, uh, endless resources to make these videos. And people actually watch him. I appreciate his gumption. But this one actually reminded me of a short story uh, that this idea of people making these crazy bets to see what they're they're you know, they can endure. I actually remember and I had to Google this because I was like, man, this premise sounds really familiar. And I remember in high school, I read a short story by Tchaikov, uh, like the the Russian writer from the 1800s. And he actually and I referenced I was looking at it this morning. I was like, am I right? Am I imagining this? Is Tchaikov actually Mr. Beast? Because he wrote a short story in the 1800s called The Bet. And the premise of this short story is a doctor, Emily, you, you said, look, you're nodding along. Yeah, I, I know I, the story. Like you're familiar with the premise. Yeah. So there's a doctor and a lawyer hanging out at a party and they get into a bet about, you know, which is a worse punishment, the death penalty or solitary confinement. Anyway, the lawyer uh, bets the banker that he can make it 15 years in solitary confinement. And, and the banker says, oh, yeah, well, I'll give you two million dollars if you can do it. And this so, is the 1800s. Yeah. Yeah. This is the 1800s. So this is mm. essentially the same premise that Mr. Beast used. Now, the lawyer, they, they so they set it up and the, and the banker has a guest house. And the rule is the door is always unlocked. You can leave whenever you want. But as soon as you leave, you forfeit the two million dollars. If you make it 15 years, you get the two million dollars. It's the same premise. As the Mr. Now, the outcome was a little different in the story. The banker over the course of 15 years uh, loses all his money and realizes if he has to pay the bet that he's going to go bankrupt. So on the eve of the 15 years coming, he goes to the guest house to actually murder the lawyer to get his way out of having to pay the bet. And the lawyer has left a note. He left the night before he was supposed to get in the payment and said over the course of 15 years, he's learned that material 
uh, possessions are actually the curse and that it's given him time to come to that realization. But anyway, Joe. Mr. Beast, so Mr. Beast is, is, is just do is just kind of doing these funny thought experiments that people have been kicking around literally for hundreds of years. And it's like just the premise of the bet. The, the premise of the of the prank or the YouTube video or the short story, I feel like people find so compelling that it's endured literally now for 150 years. Wow. That's insane. Yeah. So go but, watch Mr. Beast. Yeah. Good for him. Good for him. Good for him. All right. What do you have, Emily? Um, well, speaking of just kind of abnormal jobs, um, there is a new job that um, I just am honestly shocked that this is even a thing. Um, you can be a professional baby namer um, where your job is literally like pregnant couples come to you and you help them decide what to name their child. Um, and there's one woman who said she's done this, like this is kind of her career now. Um, she has gotten paid up to $10,000 to help come up with a name. Man, stop playing with me, And it's bro. just... You know, this is why Americans don't make a million dollars a year because they're wasting it on a baby. Number. Just name yes. your kid Bob and move right along. So, you know, if you're looking for, I don't a, know, then your name matters. I mean, I, the name that yeah. your parents give you matters. I mean, there's a whole that Gerard, your parents Carmichael. give you that your parents your give you. Would you say your name is worth ten thousand dollars? Well, mine was a family name. Okay. It was my grandmother's okay. See, maiden so name. This is, my name is Emily Brown. That is the most basic name you can think of. Um, my middle name's Anne, if we want to get even more basic. So I just, I've never had, I'm sorry, parents for listening. I like my name. I've never had a strong attachment to my name. So the fact that to think my parents would potentially pay like $10,000 to come up with the name Emily. No, it just... It does not make sense to me. I don't. It don't get make it. no sense. I'm with Emily on this one. Yeah, I I have a question, and and I don't know if you you will have the answer, but this twofold. One, I'm curious about the qualifications of this individual. Like, where are they? <laughs> uh, what, what what skill they possess that allow that makes their ability to name your child so valuable? But then also, what other factors are they bringing into play here? Are they like, well, I, I need to see uh, the mother and the father. Okay, it's definitely a Frank. If it's the offspring of you two, it's like, what are they using as the, uh, you know, baseline to, for inspiration for these names? Well, okay. So here's one example. Um, there was a couple that told her that they had their first kiss in a town called Parker. So she told them to name their baby Parks. Parks, Why not, not Parker. Parker. No, nope. not Parker. Hey, <laughs> bro, Parks. She, they might as well just put, uh, Put something in a Wu Tang name generator if you exactly. do all yeah. this. Just name your child something this feels really like, unique. You know those quizzes that are like take the first letter of your first name to find out like what your rap name would be and stuff. That's really what it feels like. Um, exactly. As for her qualifications, I think she just kind of realized this was something that no one else was doing, understandably. Um, and she, it's kind of like Mr. Beast. She was like, "Well, people stress about naming their baby. I'll do it for a price." Twitter name my kid. Like I couldn't think oh, of a yeah. name. That's right. Yeah. Uh, one of our podcast listeners named my son for real. Like I, I remember like it was stressing out. It was like a couple weeks before he was due, maybe a month before he was due. And just thinking like, I mean, cause it's a big deal. What you name a child, like it's their brand, it's their identity for their life, you know? And, uh, 
you know, like there's a whole Jerry Seinfeld bit about you kind of like pick out your your kid's career path. If you name him Jeeves, you know, he's going to be a butler. <laughs> yeah, you know what yeah. I'm saying? So it's like names matter. So I was a little stressed out. So I tweeted. I tweeted. This is 2009. Early Twitter. And I tweeted, you know, here's the parameters. Probably needs to be two syllables because it mm-hmm. works with Strang. It needs to not end with an S because of Strang. And we'd like it to be unique and have some, you know, meaning behind it, some purpose behind it. And uh, and there, we woke up the next morning, scrolling through all these replies, crazy amount of replies. And somebody said Cohen. And uh, they had just named their son Cohen. And it means set apart by God. And it two syllables and, and it sounded good with, it was like done. His name's Cohen. That's it. Fire. No question. Do you know what Emily means? It means industrious. And my brother's name is Matthew, which means gift of God. So I've always been a little bitter <laughs> that he got the gift of God name and I got hard work. <laughs> so that's, that's why I get a little bitter when people talk about like names are important because I'm like, you know what? I don't like that rule. <laughs> That's funny. Or you could just be like Gerard Carmichael and just change your name. You know, like just go with your middle name but or whatever. But then I have to pick a name like- and I'm not going to pay someone $10,000 to tell me which payment to take. It's just, it's too much. I already have 7 million nicknames because I get like a new one every other day on that our staff. Um, I don't even keep track of all of it anymore because there's just so many, but <laughs> it's fine. That's true. All right. <laughs> all right. Uh, Derek, what do you have? Yeah. So... I just, I'm about to tell you a story about someone who had the ultimate come up. When I say the ultimate come up, it's the ultimate finesse. I'm like, dang, this is a blessing. So there's a lady named uh, Christine. I can't pronounce her last name, so I don't want to butcher it. But her name is Christine, and she's from the Netherlands. And she spent uh, her time as a cruise and travel director. Well, unfortunately, the pandemic, obviously, cruises got shut down and you know, she got fired. Well, her husband's still a chief engineer on a cruise and she lives on the cruise ship for like $65 a month. Like in his cabin. In his cabin. She's a wife on board. So now rather than working for the cruise ship, like she literally lives on the cruise ship, Oof. chills. And she says she only spends $65 a month. She's kicking it. I would. That's the life. I, I would absolutely do that. No question. There's Wi-Fi. a month. Yeah. Something like $65 a month, like 60, I guess it's 65 pounds. I can't tell what, uh, this is no 65 a week. Sorry. A week. Weekly cost of 65 65 euros. She's from the Netherlands. Euros. Yeah. Yeah. 65 euros. Still. So yeah, it's It's crazy, right? It's like a hundred bucks a week. Unlimited food, travel, pools, Get to only, meet new the only people. thing that would suck is if the cruise ship sucks, like the one I was on before. You know, then because <laughs> I, you know, I'd be like, be like living on a Spirit Airlines flight. For, yeah, I was gonna say, like, I was gonna say all, all, all of a sudden you you find yourself in a Mr. Beast prank. Like, <laughs> get me out of here! Exactly, that's amazing. I think that's, that's the ultimate come up. You know what I mean? Like her husband got hired as an engineer, and now she's wife on board. This is no lie, but when I was married, uh, on our honeymoon was a cruise, and my wife d- was a dancer at the time, like not that kind of dancer. Oh, okay, professional dancer. Sorry. And 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 a lot of her friends from the dance world were dancers on the cruise, like on different cruise lines mm-hmm. and stuff. And so I was trying to, t- I was doing the math. I was trying to talk her into it, like get a job on a cruise ship, and I'll just work on the Wi-Fi. I'll just work from the ship, and we'll just, you know travel for a living and not have to pay rent and stuff. Is the Wi-Fi on the ship good? 
I'm, no, but I mean, it's doable. <laughs> right. I mean, it's right. doable. But we can't even do... We can't even do the yeah, show right now. Like, yeah, I know, I know. You got ghost sending over your out. computer. The last thing we need is Carnival Cruise Wi-Fi. Yeah. But <laughs> I was doing the math and I was like, I can figure this out. We could do this. You know, she she wasn't into it. So, so uh, well. yeah. but that, this person figured it out. They're living the dream. They're My dream. The dream. Love it. Good for her. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it for Slices. There's a lot more on our site. Go check it out. Relevantmagazine.com. All right. Stay tuned. Up next, Dr. Derwin Gray joins us. You call me You're listening to Stephen. The song is The Wave. Hey, if you like this podcast, but you might like it better if there were no ads, you can do that. Head over to relevantmagazine.com and sign up for Relevant Plus. For just a couple bucks a month, you get this podcast ad-free. You get ad-free unlimited reading at relevantmagazine.com, including the full podcast and magazine archives. Our beautifully designed digital issue and a little more. Uh, Check out all the info right there on the Relevant Plus tab at relevantmagazine.com. Well, our guest today is Dr. Derwin Gray, the pastor and co-founder of Transformation Church. He's the author of numerous books, including How to Heal the Racial Divide, which explores why and how racism continues to remain a real issue in our country, our jails, our schools, and even our churches, and how Christians can champion a new way forward of justice, redemption, and unity by following God's heart for righting wrongs and living as one. Here is our conversation with Dr. Derwin Gray. This is a topic that has obviously stirred an enormous amount of conversation over the last few years, both within the church and outside of it. I'm curious, I've seen you write about this a lot. What do you feel like is your perspective or your opinion that adds something new or or different to this very important conversation? What sets this book apart? I think the origin story for me was was not so so much I planned to write the book. I think the book was like, uh, I'm going to write you and you're just going to put it on paper. Um, because the idea of tackling this topic has to come from a life experience. And, and, and so after George Floyd, right, I'm looking at that and I'm having a flashback to 1992 as a senior in college. And that's when the Rodney King video came out. Back then, they didn't have smartphones. And at that time, me and my black college teammates were saying, man, now the world is going to believe us. Now the world's going to hear us. And then all these years later, nearly a little bit over 30 years later, it's like the same exact thing, right? But police brutality and injustice is only a fraction. It's only the tip of the iceberg. And I thought to, to myself, I'm glad that white brothers and sisters are waking up to this topic, but I was disappointed to see them going so much to sociological tools instead of theological tools. It's almost like 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus died for sins. He rose again. But for this problem of racism, we need sociological tools. And I'm here to say as a pastor and as a theologian, as a New Testament scholar, no, Jesus of Nazareth came to defeat all sin, including racism and racial injustice. And so what I want to do is I want to give people a new theological imagination surrounded through the redemptive work of Jesus that God's power can form us into the people to love each other through the demonic barriers of racism and racial injustice. But we have to be prepared because this takes a lot of courage to be able to walk into a space that has been so cluttered by racial issues throughout the history of our country. But Jesus is a cleaner. He's a fixer. And he's looking for people who want to learn to be his hands and his feet and who have a courageous love to break down these barriers because it matters to him. Maybe you could tell me a little bit about what you see as the distinction between a sociological approach to finding justice in the racism conversation and the theological approach. What is distinctive about those two things, especially in how they are pragmatically speaking? So the first thing is I'm not hating on sociology because all truth is God's truth and all theological truth has sociological implications. Sociology deals with how people gather to get together. And so a sociologist can tell you, here are the trends of racial injustice. Here are the trends of prejudice. Here are those trends. Here are those sociological problems. And that's a good thing. But if I only point out the problem and don't have a solution, I'm still stuck with the problem. And so what I want to present is a blood-soaked, spirit-empowered, gospel-centered solution to the problem that creates sociological harmony. That at the end of the day, when you look at Jesus, right? When Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, he's like, hey, here's the sociological problem because of sin. Jews and Samaritans had a 700-year ethnic feud. The Samaritans came about because in 722 BC, the northern ten, ten, uh, ten tribes were taken into captivity by the Babylonians. They intermarried. They synchronized their religious views. And so you had a group of ethnic people called the Samaritans and the Jews. It was a 700-year ethnic feud. Jesus stepped into an ethnic feud he did not create, just like us. But he says, I want to create a solution to the problem. And so in the context of love, he says, let me show you what love is. And he tells this story about a Jewish man who's been bloodied and beaten and robbed. And a Jewish priest and a Jewish Levite walks past them. But a Samaritan, the hated enemy, is the one to do what? To give care, concern, and love, and pay a cost to see this Jewish man healed. for sociology. It's a good practice. It can tell us a lot, but it cannot heal. Only the gospel heals. And so we want to have strong theology and we, and we want to understand sociology and the theological impact turns sociology into something powerful. And so what I want to do is I want to take people back to the Bible 
to read the scriptures afresh, to see that Jesus has the first word, the final word upon what it means for us to live as the new people of God. We think love is central mental note. Love looks like the cross. Love is cruciform. This is a book on spiritual formation and discipleship. You will know my disciples because they actually love one another. And love is bloody. Love is sacrificial. Love is strategic. Love is beautiful. Love is what I'm trying to offer the body of Christ through this book. I think a fear that a lot of people have about engaging this conversation, especially in church circles, is they don't want to be painted as being, uh, you know, what, what often it, what, what critics might call woke or or liberal or be associated with a certain political party they maybe don't feel like they identify with. It's just so easy to feel like you're painted into a corner when you bring up this topic. How should Christians who are concerned about this engage in this conversation, especially if they have those reservations? You know, um, it actually is a way uh, we need to put down our idolatrous idols of politics. We're not the party of the elephant. We're not the party of the donkey. We're the party of the lamb. That doesn't mean not to vote. But what it does mean that as you do vote, know that your primary allegiance is to the kingdom of God, not a political party. Um, that's for, first of all. Um, second of all, let me just pause here and, and uh I want my frustration to come across from a holy place, a good place. As a black man, I am, I'm really sick and tired of black language being weaponized. Uh, Marcus Garvey, way back in the 1920s, started the term woke. And it simply means be aware to injustice. And it makes me angry that many white brothers and sisters who say they believe in Jesus have taken a black word and appropriated it and made it a weapon. Like we used to say, stay woke all the time. And it had nothing to do with none of this late night news media propaganda nonsense. Let me specifically talk to my white brothers and sisters right, 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 right now. The whole CRT issue, the whole woke issue is a boogeyman to keep you afraid. In the 1950s and 1960s, talk of racial injustice and creating racial equality, even through the gospel, the way white people were scared is they would say race mixing is Marxism. It's socialist. Dr. King is a communists. And so they take these words and use them to create fear. So let me just hit you with this. First, John 4.18 says this, perfect love casts out all fear. And what I want to do is I want to draw people back to the gospel to apply it in the culture with love. Listen, ain't Donald Trump ain't going to save you. Biden ain't going to save you. Jewish carpenter who claimed to be the son of God is going to save you. And his kingdom ethics are different. The United States of America is a great country. It's wonderful. But when I read the end of the book of Revelation, I don't see no America. I see every nation, tribe, and tongue surrounded by King Jesus. It's his values. It's his kingdom that I'm calling people to move towards. This book is really a book on discipleship and spiritual formation.
that was Dr. Derwin Gray. Make sure to check out his book, How to Heal the Racial Divide. It's available everywhere. All right, stay tuned. Up next, it's our youth group game. The youth are revolting. Oh, boy. You're listening to Joe Hill. The song is Honeymoon. Okay, it is time for Diet, 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 Revolted. All right, this is a Tyler original game. Here we go. We've been talking about youth group games recently. I don't know if y'all have caught that on the site and on the show. We've talked about youth group games. That is the inspiration between for this one called the Youth are Revolting. Here's Tyler's write-up. Youth group games are a sacred institution or very cursed, depending on how you look at it. Many of us have been forever scarred by our time in the trenches of youth group game culture. But who comes up with these things? How and how far is too far? And can you even tell the difference? This game is your youth group game for today. You will be given the name and instructions to three different games. Two of them were pulled directly from the sourceym.com, an official repository of vetted youth group games. One of the three is made up by Tyler Huckabee. You must determine which is the fake youth group game. The loser must go back to the first day of youth group and start over. All right, so I'm going to give you three. Two are real. One is fake, and you're going to have to feel. And so I was telling Tyler and I were talking about this game, and I was like, dude, we can't just like go off our memory or off reader replies. We need some sort of source. Like when we do our indie banner firework, we go to phantomfireworks.com. And mm-hmm. so you can fact check us that this is a real game that some youth pastor <laughs> somewhere is playing. All right. So Emily, you're up first. So two are real. One is fake. Here we go. Gum boot goop. Players remove their shoes, which are then filled to the brim with a huge variety of canned food, leftovers, and raw meat. Players must put their shoes back on and compete in a relay. Oh, wow. That's one. Blend it. Blend it. Announce a McDonald's Happy Meal eating competition and line up your volunteers and your Happy Meals. Then produce a blender and reveal that it's really a Happy Meal drinking competition and they must blend their Happy Meals before consuming them. And here's your third one. Dog food run. A simple relay in which players must run back and forth from their team to a bucket which they must fill with dog food. The catch, they can only transport the dog food in their mouths. Which are the two real, or sorry, which is the fake one? Gum boot goop, blended, or dog food run? Well, I know for a fact blended is real because, unfortunately, as a youth leader, I did make students play that game. So, sorry to all my former youth kids. <laughs> oh, gross. <laughs> sorry. I don't feel that bad, actually. It was funny. Um, <laughs> um, I think the I'm going to pray that the gum one is the fake one. So, I'm going to go with that one. Incorrect. Fake. That is a oh, real youth gosh. group game from a real Christian youth group website. Youth minister website. We can't do that one. That one's bad. Dog food run is the one Tyler made up. Oh, All right. Gosh. Okay. Derek, you're up. Oh, Two gosh. real, one fake. You tell me which one's fake. All right. Food fight beauty contest. Team select one volunteer to enter a beauty pageant where they will be decorated with food like pasta sauce, noodles, breakfast cereal, and fish. They will be decorated with, okay. 
Uh, number two, Dirty Diaper. Oh, okay, I get it. So like each of the groups in the youth group nominate a contestant for this beauty contest, but they have to make them beautiful by putting food all over them. Okay, I got it. Okay, so f- food fight beauty contest. That's number one. Dirty Diapers. Diapers are filled with various brown foods, be it Nutella, fish sauce, or cat food, and players must pick them at random, smell them, and attempt to determine what they're filled with. Dirty diapers. Or number three, Mr. Whippy. One player lays down on the ground with an empty ice cream cone upright in their mouths while the rest of the team builds an ice cream sundae on it. The volunteer must then eat the sundae. Which one's fake? Food Fight Beauty Contest, Dirty Bro, Diapers, or Mr. Whippy? Food Fight Beauty Contest. That is the fake one. Correct. Right. That is correct. All right. Man. <laughs> what in the world is going on? Well, you know, just leading a generation to Jesus. You know? Hey, the diaper one. I had to play that at a baby shower game. Terrible. <laughs> All right, Jesse. Two real, one fake. Okay. Messy Twister. A twister game is built out of pies, plates of spaghetti, and other various food <laughs> items instead of the colored dots. Messy twister. Okay. Number two, feeding the 5,000. A volunteer is given five loaves of bread and two pieces of fish and then must feed it to the rest of their team by passing it around the circle using only their mouths. Five loaves of bread and two pieces of fish. Or number three, porridge pants. A simple game of tag in which every player must wear oversized overalls filled with oatmeal. Porridge pants, messy twister, or feeding the 5,000? Which I, one's fake? I would hope all of these are fake, but I'm going to go with porridge pants as the one I hope is the most fake. Porridge pants is real. The fake one is feeding the 5,000. <laughs> <laughs> the only one that seems like... Jesus-focused. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yep. Man. This is rough. All right, yeah. Emily, well, you're you're in the lead. All right, second round. Here we go. It's just a two. Well, I see he has three here. Okay, here we go. Emily, you're up. Toast. One piece of bread is put in a toaster while another toast is placed in the center of a group of people who then take turns adding any one of a series of gross condiments to the toast. Whoever is adding the condiment when the toaster pops must eat the toast. Toast. Number two, mummy. One volunteer lays on the ground with swim goggles over their eyes and duct tape over their mouth, and the rest of the team must coat them head to toe with shaving cream and silly string to see which team can make the most realistic mummy. Or three, petting zoo. A series of cardboard boxes with holes in the top are placed in the middle of the room and players must take turns sticking their hands into the box to determine what's inside. Baked beans, cold spaghetti, a furry slipper, petting zoo. So toast, mummy, or petting zoo, which one's fake? I'm going to go with mummy? No, petting zoo is the title. Wait, no, that's a, that's a real game. Not according to Tyler Huckabee. It went on youthministers.com or whatever it's called. Well, I'm going to go do a submission because I have done that before. (laughs) It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a Jimmy Fallon game that they'll stick their hands in. We don't call it petting zoo, but yeah, we've like put, we put like worms and stuff in there. I I was going to say, Jimmy Jimmy Fallon games and youth group games, you know, the Venn diagram is nearly a perfect circle. I also think fraternity hazing rituals are also included in the Venn diagram. Yeah. No, those are, those are to humiliate or you know hurt maybe like somebody. christian fraternity hazing then where it's not like <laughs> super dangerous just terrible just yeah. a bunch of trust exercises <laughs> trust falls yeah <laughs> ropes course yeah <laughs> all right derek you're up here we go two fake two real one fake dirty words ping pong balls with words written on them are buried in a mud pit and teams must dive in retrieve the ping pong balls and put them in the correct order to spell out a bible verse 
It's called Dirty Words. Goldfish Guzzler. Two fish bowls are set up at opposite ends of the auditorium, and teams take turns carrying the goldfish back and forth between the bowls in their mouths. When the timer goes out, whoever has the goldfish in their mouth must swallow it. Number three, Whopper Slopper. A trivia game with a twist. Players must answer a series of trivia questions. The ketchup round, the mustard round, the mayo round, the relish round, and the melted cheese round. If they get it wrong, they are slopped with that round's condiment. So dirty words, goldfish guzzler, and whopper slopper. Which one's fake? Dirty words. Dirty words is a real youth group game. If I'm a parent. That's not like the edgy church. And I send my kid to youth group and he comes home having gotten to a mud pit. Like, I'm not he's happy. Got, he's got pants full of porridge and his <laughs> clothes are all muddy. <laughs> yeah. No, the fake one is goldfish guzzler. Goldfish guzzler. That makes not- sense because you swallow a goldfish. That's a lot. That was like <laughs> a big thing, though. Like, youth what? pastors were, I remember that. Like, that was yeah. a thing. Swallowing youth pastors goldfish? Were- yeah. yeah. Yeah, Derek, you it missed, you missed the show, but the feedback that we got of like, what's the craziest youth group game that you ever played? Somebody said I was forced to eat, eat, swallow goldfish. So what in the world? What in tarnation? All right, Jesse, two real, one fake snowmen on the feet. Players are divided into teams of two. One player lays flat with his or her bare feet sticking straight up in the air. The other player uses marshmallow cream and raisins to build two snowmen on their upturned soles, one on each foot. Two sardine sliders. A long folding table is completely covered in various condiments and messy foods, and then players are given a single sardine, which they must move from one end of the table to the other, only using their noses. Sardine sliders. Or number three, cracker stacker. One player from each team lays flat in different corners of the room, while the rest of the team has 60 seconds to stack crackers on their faces. Teams can <laughs> remove crackers from their player's face and move them to another player, but the crackers must stay stacked on a player's face. At the end of 60 seconds, the players with the stacked crackers compete to see who can eat all the crackers fastest. Snowman on the feet, sardine sliders, or cracker stacker. Which one's fake? I'm going to go with the snowman on the feet, mainly because I feel like you have to have an incredibly strong core and in order to even be able to participate in that game. Like if I were if I'm just thinking about laying on my back with my feet straight up in the air, like I'm shaking at that point, you know, like that's like doing P90X or something. I'm going to go with that one. No, that's a real game on the youth ministry website. Cracker Stacker is the Tyler Huckabee original. Well, you know the, that youth group. They all, every one of those kids has just like an eight pack of abs. Like D1 they, athletes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, <laughs> all right. Well, that's two rounds. There's more, but this is it's a I'm lot good. of reading. It's a I'm lot good. of reading. Who's the youth pastor at that place? The situation? Like that is <laughs> the, the greatest abs of any youth group I've ever heard. I'm going to try that after the pot. I'm going to lay on my back with my feet just in the air as if there was being snow. And tell, I'm see tell Dana, what, tell Dana, hey, I need you to build, get out the whipped cream. I need you to build a snowman on I my, have the soles of my feet. And if this works, I might have the next great exercise program that we can sell for uh, people that want to get their abs by summer. This you is need to record a fantastic it so you can idea. monetize it on YouTube. Yeah, yeah no joke. Exactly. I was saying like all of these are great. Uh, Mr. Beast videos. I yeah. mean, he's just literally just a bunch of youth group games. Right, right, now, there's, right now, there's a youth group pastor that's like, yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to tell that youth pastor, don't do any of these. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Listen, we, we got to evangelize these kids somehow. And it's by building snowmen on their feet. Clearly. If this is the best way to evangelize, yeah. 
we need to rethink some things. You know, mm-hmm. I think Tyler misses calling. I'm I'm reading the rest of them, and the 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 real ones are horrible, just horrible games. You know, the same as the ones I've been reading. But here's the the Tyler Huckabee made up ones. Okay, here we go. Soup bowl makeshift bowling lanes are set up with bowls of soup for pins. Players must bowl to see how many pins they can knock over, and must slurp up whichever ones they don't topple. That's a Tyler Huckabee original. That's, That's not torture. bad. Yeah, it's not That's bad. called torture. Sushi Pogs. That's church players, players split into teams of two to play Pogs. But instead of normal Pogs in a slammer, they use grocery store bought sushi. Sushi Pogs. Hmm. Pretty good, Tyler. It's not bad. Yeah. All right. Dodge Pizza. Large cheese pizzas are stacked on either side of a room and two teams play a simple game of dodgeball, but throw the pizzas instead of balls. Players <laughs> must throw a whole pizza or just a slice or whatever survived the previous throw. Dodge Pizza. That's pretty good, Tyler. You should be a youth pastor. All right, last one for Tyler. Avocado karaoke. Players must put an entire peeled, pitted avocado and sing a karaoke song without losing any of it until their team guesses the song. Avocado karaoke. I think he missed his calling. I think Tyler has to be. I don't think he did. I think he (laughs) He found his calling. No, he missed it. I'm with with, uh, Cameron. I I will note the irony of this is most of these games involve uh, throwing away or wasting food just recreationally for the fun of it. Uh, you know, the same churches that ha- probably have like canned food drives are also mm-hmm. using food as a prop for, uh, you know, just g- g- random youth group games. Literally filling kids overalls with oatmeal. Yeah. Literally <laughs> killing, <laughs> making them run around. Yeah, I'm for, for the gospel, man. Yeah, you know exactly. I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind when he said, "You got to suffer for the gospel." Is porridge pants? <laughs> I think he had something else in mind. I don't know. Emma, I don't Emma, know, Emily. We Maybe. just don't know. We just don't know. <laughs> All right, that'll do it for diet, 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 revolting. Well, before we wrap things up, I want to thank Dr. Derwin Gray for joining us today. Make sure to check out his book, How to Heal the Racial Divide. It's incredible. And uh, head over to relevantmagazine.com where we have more conversations with him. Always, always a pleasure to talk to him. Also, make sure to head over to relevantmagazine.com. You can view our spring digital issue for free. It's presented by He Gets Us and features conversations with artists that we love like Maisie Peters. And then also Channing Tatum, Adam McKay, Ryan Reynolds. Uh, the list goes on and on. Shauna Nequist, Bob Goff. I mean, it's just, it is just absolutely packed. No matter what you want, there's something for you in the spring issue of Relevant. The ad supported version is available for free right now at relevantmagazine.com. Go check it out. Also, while you're at the site, make sure to check out our daily devotional series, Deeper Walk. It's presented by Lumo. There's a morning devotional email you can sign up for, or you can just check out the new post in the faith section there at the website. And if uh, you like the show, tell people, rate it, review it, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you hear us. It helps the algorithm, helps people discover the show, and we love the feedback. Also, if you like the music you hear on the podcast, the little breaks, uh, we have a playlist called Heard on the Relevant Podcast. It's on Spotify. It's one of four playlists that we're updating every week. We have a hip-hop playlist, indie playlist, a worship playlist, and also this podcast playlist. Go check it out. Follow along. Some good stuff over at Spotify. Just search for Relevant. Okay, on that note, we'll wrap it up. I'm Cameron String. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Emily Brown. I'm Derek Miner. We'll see you next time. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Relevant Podcast. 
Check out our features, interviews, and news updates every day at relevantmagazine.com. And make sure to follow Relevant on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest. For more great podcasts, browse the shows on the Relevant Podcast Network, which you can find at our site. And while you're there, don't miss the all-new era of Relevant Magazine. A new issue releases every other month at relevantmagazine.com. All of a sudden, you find yourself in a Mr. Beast prank. Relevant Podcast Network. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.